Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Are you looking for an ASD life coach that you can connect with and that can, can, that can connect with you? Someone who's with it and who knows what's going on in the world of ASD. Someone who can help you and point you in the right direction and get you to where you want to go. Well, my next guest is that such coach. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. <laughs> I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. Shape shifting, same player, different position. The definition to stick with them. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Tom Corsi, an ASD coach. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hi, Reed. Thanks for having me on. I uh, heard a lot about you, and I know a few people that have been interviewed by you, and I was, you know, kind of honored and flattered when you asked me to join your podcast. Not a problem Thanks. at all. It's, it's an honor to have you on my show. Anyways, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm a recently retired within the last year from uh, nine to five work. Uh, I left the Veterans Benefits Associate uh, Administration um, in March of last year, where I was working on disability claims for veterans. Um, and I had started uh, kind of an endeavor a couple of years prior to that, uh, doing some coaching with folks on with ASD. And um, just really, you know, hadn't put a lot of time and effort into uh, getting more outreach. And uh, just since I've been retired, there's just been, you know, have a lot of time on my hands. So um, I've started working with a couple of other larger coaching organizations and taking referrals and just, you know, slowly been building up my practice a little bit. And it's been, uh, I'd say it's been one of the most rewarding parts of my work career has been doing this kind of coaching. All right. So what got you into be becoming an ASD life coach? Uh, I started coaching a long time ago. Uh, generally, it was career and friend coaching. And so I've just kind of naturally uh, been that kind of a person, that kind of person at work or that kind of supervisor who would coach folks on how to improve their career, how to self-develop, um, how to enjoy their life more. Um, and then about Five or six years ago, uh, got introduced to a person who's really a, a family member by marriage, and he's on the autism spectrum, and he's just a really neat individual, and we would start spending time together. Um, we, he's actually into anime. We watch anime. We've gone kayaking together, um, and it's just very interesting uh, watching how his brain works, and we enjoy our time together, and his mom started a coach training program for ASD coaches and asked me and my partner if we would like to um, participate in kind of her first course run through. And we jumped on the chance and, you know, the rest is history. We, we learned a lot. I met a lot of individuals in the training program who were on the spectrum. And it just, one of the things that really struck me was how much support, uh, how they are underemployed, how they are under advocated for, 
Um, and there's just this huge need to assist folks um, on the ASD spectrum. And it's just, uh, it's like I said, it's just been a very enjoyable venture. All right. What do you see are some of the biggest struggles your clients face? I would say um, most of my clients are, are seeking help in the workplace, interpreting those unwritten rules of the workplace, uh, understanding you know, what's happening when something's not making sense. There seems to be, uh, I think when folks on the spectrum get to a workplace, they're, they're carrying many, many years of baggage and trauma um, that have been brought on by their childhood, maybe their family or even their school. And when they get into the workplace, they're very much feeling like there's a spotlight on them and there might be a little bit of hypersensitivity there. And so what we try to do or what I try to do is try to uh, filter out, get to the evidence. What are the facts that are going on in your workplace? And how do we address those? What's the right perspective to have on those things? And sometimes it's, you know, okay, we need to take some corrective action. And sometimes it's just, we need to try to help normalize the, the uh, client's perspective on um, this is something that everybody's feeling. I mean, there have been times in workplaces where I felt paranoid because I felt like, I was being lied to or not, you know, my employer wasn't being truthful with me. There are a lot of situations that just naturally kind of build that suspicion. And so the big work has been, how do we get them to interpret that correctly? And uh, helping them change their paradigm on how they feel about themselves in the workplace, um, that they are as valuable a contributor as anyone else in the workplace. And they shouldn't I feel like kind of like what we do or what folks on the spectrum do is when they get into a workplace, they already feel a little less than than a lot of the people around them. And really, that's not necessarily the case. And so what we try to do is get to the bottom of that. All right. Would you say that a certain percentage of your clients have both ASD and ADHD? It's almost every one of them. It's a super common overlap. All right. Now, what is your feeling on the term neurodivergent? What does it mean to you? You know, neuro, neurodivergent is, it gets good press and bad press, but, um, you know, it's just people that think differently. And I think, what you know, and we talked a little bit about this. Um, I think we have to be careful not to let terms create divisiveness. And while we may use neurodivergent or, ASD or ADHD to uh, help describe someone or what their affect is, we need to be careful not to try to lump everybody into that category. I myself, I don't have ADHD. I'm not on the ASD spectrum, but I share a lot of idiosyncrasies and tendencies that people in both camps uh, suffer. And it's, uh, you know, it would be wrong of me to try to group a group of people together and say, well, you're all like this. You know, that's a, that's a very divisive way of thinking. What I like to do is look at how similar we are between folks that are termed neurodivergent or ADHD or on the ASD spectrum. We have a lot of similarities. There are more things that bring us together than there are that separate us. And I think that's what I try to focus on is how more we're alike than how we are different. All right. Now, how would you feel about, instead of the, the word neurodivergent, neurodistinct? 
again, it's a it's another term, and I, I try just not to get too wrapped up in terms. Um, if it's you know, I, I think each individual is neurodistinct in that we have our own individual imprint of how we function in life and how we respond to stimulus. So you could say everyone is neurodistinct in some way. Everyone is neurodivergent in some way. So I think we we just have to be careful not to get too much. Uh, too wrapped around the axle on on terms you know right. they can be useful and they can be detrimental depending on how we use them All right what is a typical session like with you uh typically if we've been going a while um i'll ask for first you know what's on your mind uh, because typically there's something that just can't wait we want to get to it right away and then you know we'll we'll talk about that um, and then we'll kind of go through, uh, we'll have a little back and forth about well, what do you think about this? And, you know, I'll, I'll give my opinion um, and maybe my observation and then try to set them up with a decision point, you know, like, well, you can either do this, you could do this, you could do this, try to give them some options. Um, and then we'll talk about, okay, sometimes, you know, there'll be, depending on what we're doing, like if I'm trying to do career enhancement or a job search, then there are a lot of times there'll be homework. I'll ask them to do things in between sessions and we'll have a portion of our session where we kind of follow up on that. And it, I think it's super helpful for folks to have an accountability partner, somebody who, who's not a family member who's mm -hmm. checking on them because there's, there's a huge amount of baggage that comes with family. And a lot of times, especially in our younger adults, they just have a really hard time having a parent be their accountability partner. There's just so much stuff that's gone on there. And that, that's not to say that they had a bad family life. It's just that kids are supposed to become independent adults. And I think they feel that reverting to relying on their parents for their accountability uh, kind of infantilizes them. And so they, they want to avoid that. And so that's where I think coaches are really useful for folks as young adults when they're trying to make this, you know, breakaway from from being uh, dependent on their parents. Um, so we'll talk about, you know, what, what are the things that you worked on this past week? What were the results? What, how did you feel about that? How do we go into the next set and of uh, maybe uh, homework or action items? And how do we address things that maybe challenged you? You know, what are some coping strategies that we could work on or what are some different approaches we could take so that you could have a different result? And it's really, I, it, the, the session is usually driven by the needs of the client and the desires of the client, where they want to go. And this can change like week to week. It's, it can be very different. We can go from this week is career next week. It's, you know, my, my sole partner, uh, you know, my significant other. And it, it's really just, uh, it's, it's working through whatever's going on in, in their life at the time that seems to be the most mm -hmm. urgent or most important. Now, do you have clients who you would say it would be stubborn to get them to get up and do something? Yes. Yeah, certainly. And uh, I think what we have to do, what I try to do early on in a client relationship is establish their level of intrinsic motivation. Okay. And if I, if I can't establish that this person has not just been brought here by mom and dad, and I'm expecting me to work a miracle in that, you know, they're living in the basement. They are totally into video games. They smoke weed a lot <laughs> and they don't ever leave the house. 
I might balk at that opportunity and really want to interview that young person and understand, are they intrinsically motivated to change their life? And they don't have to be out of overwhelm. They don't have to be, you know, but they have to express some amount of desire in order for things to be different before I'll engage with them. Um, otherwise, it can be a uh, I can drag them to water, but I can't make them drink. And they have to have that, they have to have that will to to want to put out some effort, some level of effort to change their life. And if that's if it's not there, I'm certainly not going to create it in them. Uh, it's something they've they've got to develop for themselves. All right. Let's talk a little bit about accountability. You've mentioned that before. How do you get them to hold themselves accountable? It's kind of a, you know, we might first start by me holding them accountable and we establish a routine. And once the routine gets going, transferring that accountability to them is an objective. And they may not realize that, but that's what we're doing. Um, it's basically show me you can do it and then I'm going to let you do it and let you manage it. And my touch points with them become fewer and fewer and less insistent and i look for them to basically be bringing that information more and then ultimately they're happy with what they're doing that's a, that's an ideal outcome uh an unideal outcome is they don't ever pick up that torch <laughs> they don't ever you know uh they don't ever find that intrinsic motivation and um you know they're stuck and it's hard to get somebody unstuck you've got to find the thing that that tickles them into wanting to make a change. All right. Now let's get to know you a little bit more. Where did you grow up? Uh, I, I currently live in central California, a little more Northern than central near Sacramento. And I grew up there um, in the Marines uh, right out of high school, spent eight years in the Marine Corps and then came back, I, would, I picked up a trade in the Marine Corps, I was an electronics tech. Uh, I came back and I started working for companies like Motorola uh, as a two-way radio tech. I went to uh, a computer technician's course and became a, a computer tech at Hewlett Packard. I was with Hewlett Packard for about 15 years. By the time I left, um, I was um, managing a department of engineers. Uh, after that, uh, let me think, where did I go? I went back to the federal government for a few years. Uh, I worked in a, uh, an obscure little government entity called the Bureau of Reclamation, where we work on uh, recollecting groundwater or recollecting rainwater and distributing for folks to have you know, water for their homes. Uh, I spent a couple of years at uh, UC Davis, which is a University of California here with about 30 miles from Sacramento. Um, I managed a, uh, an education department there of uh, electronics and computer science. And uh, you think I spent a couple of years there doing that. I worked basically as a manager of a department and then became a, um, an HR director with their shared services center. Um, after that, what happened? Uh, let's see. Um, my mom passed away, so I left that job and had to be closer to home. She had an estate I managed. It took me a year or two to close that out. Um, she had a lot of properties that needed to be repaired. So I basically took the time off and kind of was just the jack of all trades, fixing up properties, getting them taken care of, taking care of her estate, 
Um, started working again uh, at Lowe's. I was an HR manager at Lowe's for about a year. Um, and then I got on with the Department of Veterans Affairs as a, what we call a veterans uh, service representative, um, basically helping vets uh, with their claims. And by the time I left, I was a raider. So when someone uh, 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 claims raider, so I would rate their disability claim. Um, and it was, uh, you know, I spent a few years there. Um, I picked up a lot of, uh, uh, what's the right word? Empathy for veterans. I'm a, a disabled vet myself. And uh, I still coach vets on the side with their disability claims for free. I don't charge anything for that. If it, I've got a few contacts out there who send me veterans contact info occasionally, and I'll work with vets to help them prosecute their disability claims with the VA. Because it's a it's a very what I would call an adversarial system. Uh, it's a, there are a lot of laws to prevent you from getting money. There aren't a lot of laws on your side to help you get that disability income. Um, and then you know I retired from there last year in March, and uh, pretty much been doing coaching since. All right. What motivates you, inspires you, and drives you? I think when I feel like um like somebody at least in my current situation, when I feel like somebody has taken full advantage of whatever I can offer them, that feels motivating to me. Uh, and I, I have a couple of clients who really challenge me. Um, they come up with some really interesting problems and it's, uh, it's super rewarding to be able to help them. All right. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? Uh, <laughs> I would say it's from, uh, uh, one of my ASD clients who told me that uh, since being coached by him, his total outlook has changed, his life has changed, his personal life with his partner has changed, his work life has improved, um, that it's just made a huge difference all around. All right. And that's that's a huge compliment. Okay. What's your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? Wow, there have been so many. Um I'd say my my biggest failure is, and I talked about a little bit about you know traits uh, that overlap with folks on the spectrum, and one of those traits that I have is if I'm in a workplace too long, I start to get paranoid. I start to wonder what's going on. You know, I want to be advancing faster, and I think that's probably one of my uh, failure points is that I've left some really good workplaces when I shouldn't have, and I should have stayed longer and rode out the the, the perceived storm that I thought was going on when there really wasn't anything going on. And I, I probably would have stayed in more places uh, for longer periods of time. All right. Tell me about three influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Wow. Well, I got to say the, the most influential person in my wife right now, in my wife, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip. The most influential person in my life right now is my wife, uh, Jackie, who also coaches. Um, we've been together, this is our eighth year, and it's just made this tremendous change in my life. Uh, you know, she is, she shows me kind of how I can be softer, more gentle, more empathetic. Uh, she, she is the balance to all of my uh, type A driver, driver traits, which I, I really appreciate. I think we work super well together and uh, you know, she's just been, uh, she's been a, a godsend. Um, 
you know, the other most influential people in my life, you know, my mom would have to be one. She just had this work ethic of just like she would, you know, never quit, never give up, um, which I think I retained quite a bit of that from her. Um, and a third, I would have to say, would have to just be my kids. Um, they have influenced me to do so many things in my life related to them and not related to them in their benefit. Um, but having kids and, uh, you know, between Jackie and I, we have nine. So having kids has just been a, a huge source of enjoyment, motivation, pleasure. I mean, it's just been, you know, amazing. All right. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? When I'm doing work that is challenging, uh, work that is, uh, I don't know, and, and work that helps somebody, that, that makes me feel like my best self. If I can help someone, that's a, that's a huge it's a validation for me uh, to help someone else about their life. So. All right. Finish this sentence. Um, I am at my best when... <laughs> I'm at best on a couple of cups of coffee and uh and I've got and I'm working with somebody who's engaged uh because then the back and forth is so productive and so uh I don't know fulfilling I mean it, it's just like you know there's a huge interest there and we really work to see what's going on and how we can make it better all right if you can turn back time and talk to your old if you can go back in time and talk to your 18 year old self what would you tell him about where you are now in life? Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, how many paths you take and how many wrong turns you make. Eventually, you're going to find a very happy place. And when you find that happy place, guard it with your life. Okay. If you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? <laughs> wow. Uh, listen to your parents. <laughs> 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 all right what do you think the world will look like in five years from now oh my gosh that's such a scary question um you know i don't know i i i try to be optimistic about where the world is going but there is so much kind of like how we talked earlier it seems like divisiveness is winning out over inclusiveness and uh, my big fear is that we become even more divided than we are now. My hope would be that we figure out a way to get over this and around this divisiveness and get back to being a, a society, a uh, human society of inclusiveness. And I think that's where I'd like us to be. All right. What was your favorite subject in school? Uh, you know, it really depends on the time. Uh, there was a time math was my favorite subject. Logic did a lot for me in explaining things. Uh, and then I think I, I also went to school uh, later in life. And things that involved logic uh, really uh, struck a nerve with me, especially uh, when, when we're talking about human logic, like sociology, psychology, those fields interest me. Then, But then also the things that, uh, you know, like, understanding how to, to modify a business process and see a positive result in it. So that kind of logic as well. Things that make sense of things. All right. Would you consider yourself an introvert, an extrovert, or an amniovert? 
Uh, I know over time in my life, I have been different things, but currently I'm very well uh, grounded in my introvertedness. All right. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be and why? Wow. Uh, that I help people. All right. Tell me about where you are now in life. Uh, now I'm in a pretty mellow place. Uh, probably my only uh, burning desire that I'm not doing a whole lot about is getting to travel. Uh, really want to be seeing more uh, of our country and of the world. Um, I worked a long time to get to this point. And we have just a couple of items that are keeping us from that uh, that adventure. And uh, one, one, we have a kid at home still in high school. And uh, he's getting close, though. He's in his junior year. He'll be graduating next year. And I'm hoping that frees us up to actually, you know, do that. I'm hoping to keep this uh, coaching uh, adventure going because uh, it is very rewarding. And it is is really nice to be able to pass things on to other folks and help them with their lives. And that, you know, if I if I could do the whole thing over again, I probably would be a counselor or a, uh, a therapist and move in that direction. All right. Now we get to the point of the show everyone likes to hear. I just want to remind everyone, please like and subscribe to these episodes so I can put out more like this. Tom, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? <laughs> I probably can't say it on your podcast. You can? Um, I can. Yeah, it starts with F, ends with K. And I think it defines so many things. And it is so flexible. It is. It can be any type of uh, grammatical usage you need it to be. Uh, a lot of people are offended by it, but I, I find it to be uh, very inspirational and very indicative of a mood word. <laughs> All right. What is your least favorite word? Oh, uh, you know, that's got to be something that's demeaning to women. Uh, you know, when people use terms that are, there's a favorite one in the British Isles that I just hate to hear. And it's, uh, it, it's just very disturbing and it's it's a female genitalia item used to describe a person and it just you know it just infuriates me all right what turns you on creatively spiritually or emotionally uh having a project uh i i would say my spirituality i i think i derive from working with my hands and when I can engage my brain and my hands in solving a problem and creating something that solves that problem um, that really motivates me and drives me. All right. What turns you off? Oh, what turns me off? Uh, that's a great question. I, I would say I, I am challenged with uh, folks who uh, want to just accept where they are and don't want to don't want to do anything about enhancing or improving you know where they're at they're unhappy with where they're at and they don't want to do anything about it that's that's a turnoff for me all right what is your favorite curse word <laughs> yeah we already talked about that okay <laughs> it's my it's my favorite word of all yeah all right what sound or noise do you love hmm I would say uh, like when your grandchild calls your name or something like that. That's, uh, you know, that's a, that's my favorite sound. All right. What's 
sound or noise do you hate? Oh my God, leaf blowers. Mm. <laughs> leaf blowers and weed eaters and chainsaws um, drive me nuts. All right. What is your favorite color? That's something that's changed a lot too. Um, and I would say, yeah, currently, I don't know. I'd say green, I guess, like foliage, like uh, forest and, and, and plants. All right. What's your least favorite color? Uh, I think white. It's because it's devoid of personality. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I, I, I would love to work on being a therapist. I just, uh, I'm, it's hard, hard to justify spending three years in school though, and, and spending a huge amount of money to get there. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, that's a great question. I've done so many professions, uh, probably work in food service, uh, you know, or fast food. All right. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Good job. All right. When you arrive at heaven, who would you like to meet? Wow. Well, hopefully any of my uh, loved family members that departed ahead of me or those that depart after me. All right. What books do you recommend my audience read? Oh my gosh, what books? That's a tough question. I don't know, I've got to say my favorite book of all time is The Stand by Stephen King. Um, it's a classic good versus evil novel and it's, uh, you know, it's just well-written. All right, and finally, where can people find out more about you on the web? I, I have a website, it's objectivecoach.net. All right. And that was it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Reed Miles. That was Tom Corsi. And I'll see you in the next one. See you there. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Reed.